I'm Skyping with Scott Wild, who is the social media guru, member of the Oz team. How's everything out there in Bismarck, North Dakota? Things are wonderful, Peter. School's out for the summer, and we got some gorgeous weather here. Uh, the kids are out just screaming all over the block, so you can tell that they're ready for a full summer. And, you know, we like, as parents, we like to have them out of the house and in the backyard yelling a storm. So. Well, yeah, you live in an area like where I grew up where you don't have to worry about kids being kidnapped, held at ransom. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a better world. Well, we're going to talk, we're going to talk ones and zeros. What we're going to talk about in social media today, Scott, is how people, particularly uh, professional organizations, are using Facebook. Absolutely. Well, Facebook is absolutely becoming a critical part of the business process. And, and it's not just, you know, there's a lot of people that sign up Facebook. Uh, they sign up their business with a personal profile and they actually should generate instead a Facebook fan page for their business. And the reason that they do this is because those pages are actually indexed by Google. You know, they're, they're public to the site. You don't even have to have a Facebook account to see someone's Facebook fan page. Whereas if you're using a personal profile for your business, you're only limited to 5,000 people that can be friends of your business. It's not indexed in the search engines because it's private. And I mean, you know, you have to be a friend of the business in order to see that information. So very important that people create what's called a fan page, which is what we've done for Radio Free Oz. Um, you're starting to build up that community. And here's another reason um, why it becomes an important piece of any marketing strategy. And I'm going to use the example of Reebok Hockey and uh, CBS Sports and their March Madness tournament when you pick the brackets. Because that's the big thing that people do when they're um, – during the March Madness, people want to pick the brackets, right? So in their big million-dollar TV commercials, instead of sending people to CBSSports.com, they send people over to Facebook.com slash brackets. And in the Reebok ads, when you want to see the finish to one of their commercials or see how the end is going to turn out, they send you over to Reebok or Facebook.com slash Reebok Hockey, for example, to watch the Sidney Crosby commercials. The reason they do this is because when people interact with that Facebook page and I either click the like button or I make a comment, that now shows up on the homepage of everyone who is a personal friend of mine in Facebook. So uh, right now I've got almost 1,500 people as friends. So when I like the Radio Free Oz website or if I like the CBS Sports Brackets, it posts that on my profile, which also shows up in the homepage feed for all of my friends, 1,400 plus people. Now when you think about it, if CBS Sports or Reebok would have sent me to their website to watch that video, how many people would have known that I actually watched that video or interacted with their Facebook brackets, right? Nope, hardly anybody. Maybe some people crunching some numbers at, at uh, CBS, I mean, but right. not... Right, geek at the end of the month is going to check the web metrics and know that this IP address came in at, for this amount of time on this date. But this is the reason that Facebook, you know, it, it holds true to the social media philosophy that it's the largest referral network in history. And when people, my friends, can personally see what I'm doing, that might entice them to want to play the brackets as well and, and, you know, create a little competition. So you've got this opportunity for things to go viral. And that's really where the power of Facebook is. And we're going to use the same philosophy in the Radio Free Oz. We're going to actually serve up some content that's only available um, through the Facebook account in order to drive people there. We're going to have contests for um, what you call game-used equipment, scripts, signed scripts, signed paraphernalia, 
what I also call snot rag in a bag. You know, (laughs) you blow your nose, assign my name to it, and put it in a bag. Somebody wants it, or at least we can give it away as a prize. Uh, That's exactly right. So it's it's gonna get let them interact with the show in a whole new way, and also see others out there that are friends and potential friends, and even share the information a little more easily. So that's really the power of Facebook. Well, you showed the power when you know we're uh, Radio Free Oz is now in the top ten on Podcast Alley, which is a service that it has 80,000 different uh, uh, podcast uh, uh, services available. It has like 500,000 podcasts on the site. And the way that you rise in their ranking is by voting. And I had been encouraging people on the Facebook page to vote. And you said, wait a minute, you wrote a script. So there was a hot link on Facebook that went right to Radio Free Oz, which you can find on the uh, Radio Free Oz Facebook page. You go there and you can immediately vote for us. And we went from being, I don't know, somewhere. We're now number 10. We went from number 19 to number 10 within an hour. Yeah, so it it really does work. Okay, next time we talk with you, we're going to talk Twitter, Scott. Right on. Okay, talk to you soon. Thanks. Dave, there's nothing weirder in the world than China. I know most of our listeners have not been there. I've been there a couple of times, and I tell you, one of the things about China that really, really surprised me is how bad the food is. No. Oh, yeah. What we call Chinese food, that's good. You know, uh-huh. love to have some Chinese food. Yeah. I, and I was being treated by like the mayor of the particular town. They have, Like the town of, uh, of Beijing has these little sections in it. Like we were in like the technology section, mm-hmm. a million people. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little. So, you know, and, and they take us out for these really nice dinners. Yeah. And it was like, what end of the chicken does that come from? Mm, oh. this is, now these aren't, uh, this is the chicken beak kind of diet. I've been, I was in a restaurant like that in New York yeah. once and, uh, you know, taken there by Friends and it, they, what can I order on the menu that doesn't have that has eyes or it doesn't have well, it has a spine or well this yeah. you know these are the beaks then they stuff the beaks they I stuff, don't want to get into no, it. don't go there I don't want to get it's on a lazy yeah. Susan this and it couldn't have gotten lazy enough way out of sea urchin territory okay all right all right this little something anyway. from Mick newspaper all right? okay about fifteen thousand snakes were spotted slithering along a road near a village in northern Beijing just recently in what local authorities said may have been part of a Buddhist ceremony. This according to China's Global Times, right? Mm-hmm. The Huaoru District Bureau of Landscape and Forestry, and I'm trying to be as Chinese as possible there. I probably, what I, I think said it was probably, atonal rather yeah, probably than tonal, means carrot head premier, and we're never going to get this on the web out there. All right, so that bureau, that bureau of Landscape and Forestry was quick to assure locals that the rambling reptiles had nothing to do with the weather. I don't know why. Nothing to do with the weather. No, that, that must that have been. the really, guy who was out there counting 15,000, 15,000, and one, 15,000. nothing to do with the weather. It's good, weather's good out here. It's snake territory. It's yeah, okay. I mean, the thing that gets me is that. 15,003. Why, why does it reassure the, the populace when they see 15,000 snakes crossing the road that it's not about the weather? Well, because is, obviously they could be falling out of the sky, which would be really weird. Raining cats and snakes. Yeah, I'm no, sure that's. You don't trying, want to have. Crawling across the road, you might make sure they they didn't just appear there, you know. And the seismological office stressed Uh that it did not signal an impending earthquake. Now, in this country, 15,000 snakes crossing the road doesn't mean an earthquake either. It means that you have been taking the wrong hallucinogen. You know, I mean, good Lord. Okay. Don't believe the rumors and stop spreading them, the Forestry Bureau said. They've got those signs print T-shirts. They've got those (laughs) printed up in China. They've had it for years. Yang Fubu, that's his name, Yang Fubu, 
from the Beijing Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation Center said traffic was even stopped for a while to minimize the number of snakes crushed by passing vehicles. How thoughtful of them. Oh, I should think so. Besides, they'd be slipping off the road, you know. Slipping and a sliding. Look, I mean, we're coming into snake territory. Unless, you, Ooh, unless you've got snake yeah. breaks. Now, that's another thing altogether. It's a Chinese thing. I don't want to get into it. Most of the weather was wrong. Uh-huh. It wasn't earthquake you season. You put on snake chains. <laughs> you put on your snake chains, which is, I think, your boss. So those are the chains. Snakes eating their own tail. And there you go. Right. All right. About 10 foam boxes and bamboo sticks were also found nearby, indicating, at least to the Chinese, that the snakes had been released, the newspaper says. Right. Well, I see why they're calling it a 15,000 of them. That is quite a Buddhist ceremony. Sure, that's a ceremony where uh, animals are released into the wild, and it's beneficial and a good thing to do. However, they usually pick crickets. Yeah, and, and usually they don't do it so that they're going to, like, invade a village and cause everybody to think the weather's bad or that there's an earthquake. It's rare to see such a mass release, I'm quoting. Mm-hmm. It might be a Buddhist ceremony, Yang said. Mm-hmm. Such campaigns should be encouraged, but it's irrational to release so many at the same place at one time. What does he mean, such campaigns should be encouraged? Is, is it political? Is it a statement? Has it got something to do with Mao Zedong and the Long March? What is it? I mean, I maybe don't it's get... somewhere in the little red book. I don't know. One of those Tang Dynasty poems. Yes, snakes yeah. on the road. It is heaven. They are the people. I will join them. The snakes are many. We are few. Evening, I drink and go home. There's a man named David Goldman who writes a column for the Asia Times under the uh, pseudonym of Spengler. Spengler was the. Um, I think it was a German historian who uh, basically came out with a very remarkable book called The Decline of the West. It came out in the early uh, 20th century and uh, basically said, we're on the way out. Anyway, he's, he's very interested in the relationship between the Western world and the Muslim world. And here he's talking about one, as far as he's concerned, um, irreconcilable contradiction. More than the Quran's sanction of wife-beating, the legal ground on which the Quran sanctions it reveals an impassable gulf between Islamic and Western law. The sovereign grants inalienable rights to every individual in Western society, of which protection from violence is foremost. Every individual stands in direct relation to the state, which wields a monopoly of violence. Islam's legal system is radically different. The father is a governor or administrator of the family, that is, a little sovereign within his domestic realm, with the right to employ violence to control his wife and children. That is the self-understanding of modern Islam, spelled out by Muslim American scholars, and it is incompatible with the Western concept of human rights. By extension, the power of the little sovereign of the family can include the killing of wayward wives and female relations. Execution for domestic crimes, often called honor killing, is not mentioned in the Quran, but the practice is so widespread in Muslim countries, the United Nations Population Fund estimates an annual toll of 5,000, that it is recognized in what we might term Islamic common law. Muslim courts either do not prosecute so-called honor killings or prosecute them more leniently than other crimes. Article 340 of Jordan's Penal Code states, He who discovers his wife or one of his female relatives committing adultery and kills, wounds, or injures one of them is exempted from any penalty. That's convenient. Syria imposes only a two-year prison sentence for such killings. Pakistan forbids them, but then rarely punishes them.